You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Well, good morning. It is great to see you today. So I grew up the son of two history buffs, two history enthusiasts. And this is how it played out. I, uh, well, my buddies were going to cool vacation spots like the beach or the mountains and having their days filled with experience after experience, my vacations looked a little bit different. We might get to the mountains, but not before we had probably stopped by a dozen historical markers along the way, a few graveyards, and probably driven a number of miles out of the way to get to some of those. Let me tell you, it was a blast. (laughs) Clearly, I am not at all a little bit bitter still after all these years. (laughs) Can you guess what our vacations look like now? No historical markers. I jest, but honestly, It did create in me a a love for history and an appreciation for it. And because of that, I stand here this morning aware of what has come before me. The legacy of godly leaders and the responsibility that I carry to lead this congregation forward into continuing to be a city on a hill in Lima. But as today begins a new chapter in the story of Lima community, it really is always, always much bigger than a person. It's a day to celebrate the goodness and faithfulness of God. It's a day to wonder at the wisdom of God and his amazing grace at bringing us all together. That's what this day is really about. I know it's a new face. I know it's a changing of of leadership. I know it's a new chapter. And you're probably standing or sitting there right now trying to get a gauge whether do I like his voice or (laughs) it's different. I'm not used to hearing that or what did he put on this morning? (laughs) All those things. And honestly, this can become a day about the new guy. And really, I want to remind you, it's about the faithful Lord that we have. His goodness, his faithfulness, his love, his wisdom in bringing this all together. I'm confident that the plans that God has for Lima community are are the promise that we sang earlier. Greater things have yet to come. And greater things are still to be done through the life and ministry of, of Lima community. But with this chapter beginning to be written, I think that for me it's only appropriate to understand that what makes this such a great church is not a singular position or a singular personality. It is and always has been much bigger than that. And this transition has once again proved this true. 
And so I want to take a moment right at the beginning of my ministry here to recognize those who have kept this place strong and fruitful through a transition. First of all, and Brad already stole my thunder. I didn't know he was going to do that. But the work of the board, I want to thank the board for their work in this transition. They were incredible in the interview process. They filled Nicole and I with hope as we began to understand that the Lord was leading us here. They have served the Lord and you well in this process, and we're blessed to have them as a part of our leadership team. And you know what? Would you once again just show your appreciation to them for their ministry? The best organizations have the best teams, not necessarily just the best players. And the staff of Lima Community has shown you in this transition time that they're just one of the best. They've continued, yeah. They've continued on the ministry in stabilizing and affecting ways. And I think that as a new chapter begins, it's only appropriate to understand that this is always way far bigger than one person. And so I've got the question here, and you already have shown your appreciation, but would you show you, continue to show your appreciation to our staff? I would personally say thank you also to you. Your kindness to me and my family already has been amazing. You've already made us feel so at home and to understand that or, or you've made us feel so at home. And even though we're the newest family member, we already feel like we're part of the family. I don't even feel like an outsider this morning. And I want to say thank you so much. And so my commitment to you is this, to do my absolute best to help lead you into the plan that God has for your life. That plan, that plan primarily looks the same for all of us as he is transforming us and making us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And my commitment is to, to you is to come alongside you and do the best I can to help as God works his plan out in your life to make him like his son, Jesus Christ. But also, that specific plan that God has for your life with your particular talents, abilities, um, your personality, your background, whatever it is that God wants to use, my commitment to you is to come alongside you and try to help that be worked out in your life, God's will worked out in your life. This will call for me to be committed to a life of prayer. I will be praying for you. I will be praying for spiritual breakthroughs for increased knowledge of God's will for your life, for strength, for healing, healing of soul and of body, for vision and how we can bring the kingdom in greater ways to this community. I will be committed to discerning how to best communicate the living word of God clearly, accurately, timely, and in the ways that best develop Christ-likeness in all our lives. I know this Sunday can be an awkward Sunday for you and for me. You're trying to figure out who I am. It's hard to do that in this kind of, of setting. 
And probably it's common for us to not be focused on what I am saying as much as how I am saying it this morning. But I want to remind you that this time on Sunday matters every Sunday. We open our hearts to the word of God and it shapes how we understand God and ourselves and how this relationship with him looks like. It's realizing that knowing God is far bigger than knowing just about God. Since the age of eight, I've had an over 30 year relationship with the St. Louis Cardinals. Keep going. That did not play a part in the hiring process, but it is such a cool thing to walk into his office and it looked kind of like what my office has looked like. It's so cool. I grew up in Cardinal Country and have followed them every year for probably the last 35 years. And you know what? You can't be a Cardinals fan and not know a little bit about a player named Albert Pujols. Yeah. Even if you don't like baseball, you don't understand baseball, uh, if you've ever watched him play, you would walk away and say, I don't know much about this game, but that guy, he can play. You know, over the years, I've accumulated a lot of knowledge about Albert. I can tell you some of his stats. I can replay for you some of his biggest moments. I can even tell you somewhat about the charities and the passions that he has outside of baseball. I do know a lot about Albert Pujols. But you know, if I ran into Albert today on the street and walked up to him with a huge smile and a hand outstretched, he would probably be polite, but he doesn't know me. We don't really have a relationship. I just know a lot about him, but I don't really know him, right? The goal of these Sunday mornings are not simply to just pass along knowledge about God, but the goal of Sunday mornings are to help us understand how to move into relationship with God. I would remind you, if this is your primary spiritual formation, is this Sunday, is your word intake for the week is just this Sunday, you will be like a person trying to eat once a week. You'll be unhealthy, starving, anemic. The purpose of these Sundays, though, is to whet your appetite for the word of God. It's like going out to eat, right, to a, to a good restaurant. You, you don't do that every, well, maybe some of you do every day, but I don't. And I look forward to that. When I go to that restaurant, I'm, I'm excited to try something new and to experience a, a new food or a, a new combination of flavors. And when I go to the restaurant, my appetite's whetted for, for, uh, for that certain way that it's fixed. And I go home and then we try to recreate that, right? And my appreciation for food just grows. And that's what this Sunday morning, these Sunday mornings are supposed to be. We just continue to whet your appetite for the word of God, knowing that you and I are called to live in the word of God throughout the week, and yet these Sunday mornings continue to help us understand the joy, the purpose, 
of how God wants to work in our lives. I'll be committed to that. I'll be committed to the pastoral role of shepherd, counselor, encourager, confident, friend. I want to be the guy that shares with you in your victories and in your setbacks. I'll be committed to being the best leader of Lima community that I can be. Knowing the vision that God has for us and communicating that clearly. How can we best see the kingdom come to Lima and understand the best practices to accomplish this? I'll be committed to developing people and resourcing people, creating and fine-tuning systems to fulfill the mission of seeing God's kingdom come in this community. That's my commitment to you. Was that weird? I've never done that before. But I felt like it was important on this significant day to just let you know I'm all in on this. That my life, truly, as we've just sung, is simply but a sacrifice to the Lord for his kingdom. And I'm here, I'm committed, and I am so excited about what God is going to do in your lives and in our lives together. Do you believe that? That's weak. Do you believe that? We're not going to go very far. And I just wanted to, I just wanted to kind of just get that out there right up front before we jump into our series, before we start talking about the word. This is my commitment to you. I'm praying that you and I will both understand that God truly wants to do some incredible things in this church and then out of the just church spilling out into this community. Transformative things. I mean, culture-changing things where we truly are that city on a hill that cannot be hid. Amen. And so, what do you say when you start? What's the first thing you talk about? Um, there's so many things to talk about. Where do you start? And I, th- I thought, you know, I can't help but talk about what Jesus was talking about when he started. He couldn't stop talking about this idea. Seventy times in the Gospels, he uses this word, kingdom. It's like he cannot stop talking about this idea of the kingdom. In fact, the forerunner to Jesus, John the Baptist, uh, would shatter the silence from God from the Old Testament when he would say this often, repent for the kingdom of God is near. When we're introduced to Jesus in the Gospels and in Matthew and Mark and Luke, we hear things like this. Jesus saying in Matthew chapter four, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe. We read that Jesus was going about in all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. That's how Mark, or that's how Matthew introduces us to Jesus. Mark introduces us to Jesus in this way, that Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Luke begins this way, that Jesus says, I must preach the kingdom of God to all the cities, for I was sent for this purpose. 
The kingdom is at the heart of Jesus' purpose coming to earth. In fact, when he teaches us to pray, he, he, he uses this phrase. He teaches us when we pray, pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in, it is in heaven. This is to be the primary obsession of the people of God, to see his kingdom come into the world. In fact, when he's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount and he is revolutionizing the way that we think about God and how we react to God and what he wants to do in his life, he keeps talking about this is what creates in your life the reality of you're a part of the kingdom of God. In fact, in that sermon, he he. He finalizes this way when he says that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. I can't help but talk about the kingdom, because that's what Jesus talked about, is the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Now, when I say kingdom, I think it's something that we need to define, right? The word kingdom is two words, king and, and dumb. And the word dumb is from the word we get dome or domain. And obviously, the idea of a king is, is an authoritative person. And so when we talk about kingdom, we're talking about a place where a king has dominion. This is one of the disadvantages that you and I have in 21st century America. We don't use this kind of language. We don't understand this kind of concept, do we? We're a democracy, not a monarchy. Well, technically, we're a republic, right? We're not ruled by a king, but a system of government that is ruled by by the people and for the people. In fact, the words for democracy come from the word people and ruling power. And when you combine those two words, you get the basic definition of democracy, people ruling power. Democracy is a government that is ruled by the people and for the people. But this is not how God's kingdom works operates. Are you okay? Yeah. All right. Some of you are already starting to be like, oh, no, he's one of those guys. <laughs> he hates America. And... <laughs> no. No, no. But I will tell you that the first thing I would ever want to communicate to you is the call of Jesus, the life of Jesus, is a call to an identity that is bigger than anything else you're involved in in this world. To be Jesus, to be his people, is to be called to his kingdom. And kingdom is vastly different than anything we are a part of or understand. It is a place where we come to this reality where we pray and seek the kingdom. We are praying for the rule and the reign of the kingdom of God in our lives. You see, after the fall, making the world's, uh, making uh, after the fall of mankind, the need for restoration and renewal, the need for a reversal of the curse and a renewal by grace is exactly what God set out to do. And the Bible is a rescue story, not about God rescuing sinners from a broken creation, but about him rescuing them for a new creation. God's reign begins in the human heart, but it one day will extend to the ends of the earth. So often in our culture today, we think of salvation as leaving earth for heaven, but the story of scripture is quite the opposite. The message of the kingdom is not to escape from earth to heaven, but God's reign coming from heaven to earth. 
The focus of God's reign is his people, but the scope of God's reign is all of creation. And so the mission, the purpose of Jesus Christ, as when he comes, he can't stop talking about it. And as he leaves and, and he starts the church at Pentecost, it's with one purpose, that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. What he started when he came is a kingdom that is everlasting, but it starts here and now, and we get to be a part of it. So often what we have grown accustomed to in our, in our evangelical culture is that we are just trying to escape this place and get a ticket punched to heaven. Man, I'm going really like off script right now. I might get in trouble. First Sunday, I, I really, like I'm a pacer. You'll find that the, the uh, camera guys are gonna hate me. Can't just relax. But today I was like, I'm staying to this. I'm staying to this. And now I'm already comfortable. And just as Jesus was trying to, to help them and us understand that what God wants to do in our lives is far more than just punch a ticket to heaven and hang on until we get there and just hunker down, but no, understand that in the indwelling Christ and through the power of his Holy Spirit, you and I now do as Jesus did, and we bring the kingdom of heaven to this earth. That's what we mean when we say your kingdom come. And so I want to begin my ministry here and spend my ministry here always talking about the kingdom. This series, we're going to dive into the core values of the kingdom of God. It's built on the love of the Father. It lives through the life-giving word. It thrives in connection with one another. It acts out the mission of the king. It provides purpose through its various roles. But this morning, as I have in every church I've ever pastored, I want to start with this reality of the, how the kingdom works. If we don't embrace this concept, then the kingdom will suffer. It'll struggle. It'll halt. It'll limp. It will not succeed in the way that God has planned. So I invite your attention to the book of John chapter 17. I just want to read four verses this morning. You see, the context of this is Last Supper. In fact, this is not only Last Supper, this is Last Prayer at the Last Supper. Kind of final words. It's weighty. It's passionate. It's what's on the heart of Jesus before he is going to walk to the garden and be betrayed. It's what he wants to communicate, like those final words, please, I'm praying that you get this. As I'm going and going to do the work, I'm going to die on the cross. I want you to grab a hold of what I've always wanted you to see. It's in this prayer. And it's in this prayer that we see that Jesus, he prays for strength and ability for himself to carry out the plan of the Father at the cross. He prays for his disciples, that they would be set apart to live out his mission. And then in verse 20, we see that he prays for us. Amazingly, as, as, as he is in his final hours, he is specifically praying for you and me on his way to the cross. And this is his prayer. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. My prayer is not for just the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me 
and I am in you. May they also be in us, and catch this phrase, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as, I, as you have loved me. That the world might believe and the world might know. The whole reason why this whole thing exists, the church of Jesus Christ, is primarily a missional objective to show to the world the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus prays, I pray for them, that they might be one as we are one, that they might be brought to complete unity. And in this happening, the world will believe and the world will know the love that God has for this world in Jesus Christ. The unity of Christ's church is the primary way that the world believes and the world knows. What marks us is that we come from different backgrounds, different family values, different life experiences, varied viewpoints, and an array of personalities. And yet the, the unbelievable thing that happens in this place is that there is love, there is so much love for one another given to us and poured out in our heart by the gospel of Jesus Christ that we, coming from all different kind of backgrounds and personalities and viewpoints and, and perspectives, we all begin to share a common lifestyle and purpose. And this witness that something supernatural is going on here is the way that the world begins to believe in the love and grace of Jesus Christ. It's the unity of the church that grants to the world a reason to believe that there is something to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where there is discord, friction, faction, fighting, disconnection, lack of peace, the world sees us as just another human institution. But yet, when we are one, and all of us come together from wherever we came from, for whatever we've experienced, for whoever we've been in the past, we come together and we begin to unite around this common purpose and mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only changing our lives and renewing our hearts, but then out of that spilling out of us into extending to a community with love and grace, and we do it together with a common objective, it's what causes the world to begin to believe and the world to begin to know there's something different going on there. Amen? Amen. And so I just want to remind you of this passage. I want you to grab a hold of a, a few words um, that are in these four verses. And generally, I'm not an alliterated guy. I, I'm not the guy that has all Bs or all Fs or all Cs or all Ss. I don't know if Doug was like that. Was Doug like that? Okay, great. You don't care about that then. That's awesome. 
I'm not that guy, but ironically, today I am that guy. But I want you to notice that in these four verses, Jesus specifically, he pleads, he pleads for us to be one. Obviously, Jesus has a passion here. You can't read these verses, but understand that this is deep in the heart of Jesus. I pray that they may be one as you and I are one, Father. It's obvious that this is really setting heavy on Jesus' heart, that this is a deep passion of his, that his church, his people, his followers would always maintain a sense of oneness as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have. And then it's obvious as you begin to read the articulation of the gospel in the epistles and in the rest of the books of scripture, you begin to see that writer after writer after writer visit this subject repeatedly. Listen to Paul in Corinthians. I I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. He continues that idea in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, just as one body, though one has many parts, all of its parts form one body, so as it it is with Christ. In Ephesians, writing to that church, he writes this, in him the whole body is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in in the Lord, and in him too you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Listen to what he writes to the the church in Philippi. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And whether I come and see you or hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if there's any comfort from his love, if there's any common sharing in his spirit, if there's any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Listen to the apostle Peter. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and be humble. And I just want to remind you today that starting this new chapter and this next chapter, Um, of what God wants to do in Lima community and continue to do, to stand on the shoulders of what already has been done over and over. I want to remind you that 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 secret ingredient, uh, man, we're going to strategic plan and we have facilities that are incredible. We're going to have places to do ministry. We have talented people to do ministry. We have all the resources, not all the resources, but a lot of resources to do ministry. We have a wonderful group But the secret ingredient is that you and I stay one, live one, be one with one another. That in that, then all of those other things can be maximized in their effectiveness to change this community. I keep saying that and you keep looking at me. Like, yeah, right, you don't know anything about Lima. I'm telling you today. The plans God has for us is to change the culture of this place. I absolutely am convinced and confident that when our chapter is done written, all of us together, that it can be said of us, wow, look at what God did in that community 
in the lives of those people. How many broken people were restored? How many broken marriages were healed? How many addicted people were changed? Because that place, that place, I'm telling you, I'm just going to keep saying it until you finally say, shut up. (laughs) And I'm going to just at least say, I believe you. I'm going to say amen. And then I'll move on. This is what God wants to do in us. But the secret ingredient is that you and I understand that this is about staying together, sticking together, living for one another, being about something bigger than our own agenda, our own uh, little uh, deal over here, and realizing that when God begins to show us all what he wants to do, that's what we're about completely. There's that plea for one. There's the potential for one. Verse 21, just as you are in me and I in you. It's this closest of intimacy that Jesus is praying that you and I will mimic the relationship that he has with the Father and the Spirit and he's praying and he's, he's telling us that it can exist, this beautiful relationship where there is love and there's unity, there's harmony, there's a looking out for one another. He's praying that you and I would experience that oneness with one another, this potential that calls us to pour ourselves into each other's lives, to, to allow ourselves to spend time with one another, to be vulnerable, to be compassionate with one another. This is absolutely a prayer for what is the essence of discipleship, that we would be one as the Father and the Son are one. I would remind you that in these verses, I see a practicality of one. There is no doubt that there is supposed to be one church. Did you know that? Today in Lima, there's probably, what, 200 churches? Right? I don't know. We all believe a bunch of different things, don't we? And no doubt the Lord is grieved because it was really supposed to be one church. It really was. It will be one church. And it will not say Nazarene in heaven. (laughs) I love the Nazarene church. I'm a Nazarene, but I'm I'm not ignorant to the reality that there are other Christians out there. Amen? Lots of other Christians out there. And although it's there's so many different churches, and no doubt it's looked like what Jesus prayed that we would be one, and even Christians can't even get together and agree on so many different things. And and I realize that. As Philip Yancey says, the most amazing thing is that Christ did leave this earth and he put his church in the hands of men. And what happened over the years is that men messed it up in so many ways, didn't we? And so today, when Jesus is praying that we might be one, and somebody looking on would be like, well, how does that really happen? There are Methodists and Baptists and Nazarenes and Pentecostals and Catholics and Lutherans in this town all claiming to be Christian. Doesn't sound like that's working out. And I would, I would concede to you that probably uh, that work is, is the work that's much larger than us and that only heaven will realize us coming back as one, right? There's just too many traditions and, and things to really cause us all to become one church in Lima. 
But the practicality is he is calling this church and every church to be one inside of itself. That doesn't mean we always agree. This isn't some group thing, cult. There's obviously in scripture so many different illustrations of, of people, men of God who didn't agree and yet they stayed united around the common gospel of Jesus Christ. The practicality of one is like in what Augustine encourages us to remember, that in essentials, we should have unity, that in non-essentials, we should have liberty, and in all things, we should act with charity to one another. But this oneness, the practicality of this oneness that Jesus prayed for goes beyond just believing the same things. And, and if we don't quite believe the same things, at least allowing each other to breathe and, and staying unified on the, the, the major things and showing grace and love on those things that maybe we don't see eye to eye. But this, this call, this practicality is much bigger than just philosophically or intellectually allowing each other to kind of breathe in certain ways, but yet uniting around truth. It's actually this idea of what Jesus said, that by this, all men will know that you're my, my disciples by your love for one another. Listen to Romans, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Ephesians chapter four, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Colossians chapter three, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds us all together in perfect unity. What God calls us to is to experience the practicality of one as being willing to, although we might not see eye to eye or see things differently or have different viewpoints, we love one another deeply. I bet your family doesn't agree on everything, does it? You still love one another. And that's the practicality of this oneness that Christ calls us to. Verse 22 reminds us that the power of this one is the Lord himself through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in conclusion this morning, I wanna remind you that we can't help but notice in the book of Acts that one of the ways that God changed the world that existed then through his church in that first century was the spirit moving, lives being changed, ministries happening because of this repeated phrase in Acts that they were one. They were in one accord. And when God's people stay united, stay together, stay focused on the common goal and purpose and gospel of Jesus Christ, surrender themselves to nothing else but the kingdom and what's best for the kingdom, God's power moves mightily in his people and he changes communities and contexts context that we live in. And so... The first thing I encourage you to do is to commit yourselves to being one. I pray that they may be one as I and you are one. Would you bring them to a complete unity? And in so doing, the world will believe and the world will know God's love. 
Jake Porter was a young man that grew up in McDermott, Ohio. McDermott, Ohio is about 150 miles from here in Southern Ohio. Jake Porter was born with a um, uh, intellectual disability. Um, and so through his life, he, he struggled with that. But he loved football. He wanted to play football. And in that little town of McDermott, the, the freshman coach allowed Jake to go out for football. He didn't play, but he showed up for every practice. Every practice he was there. He did every drill to the best of his ability. He didn't miss. He was as faithful as any other teammate. McDermott High's coaches through the years, ninth, 10th, and 11th grade, they let Jake be a part of the team, even though he, he wasn't going to see the field. He wasn't capable. And yet, they let him be a part of the team. And by the end of his senior year, he had been so faithful and he had been so, um, such a, a cool part of, of those teams over the last four years that the coach was sitting in his office one day and realizing that they were coming down to the last game and he, he just began to want to, to do something for Jake. He, he wanted him to be able to get into a game just one time because the guy had been to practice after pra hundreds of practices over those four years. And he knew who they were playing that Friday night, and he kind of thought that the game would not be close. It was going to be lopsided. He knew his team wasn't going to probably be able to keep up with the other team. And so he called the other coach that week, and he said, hey, I've got this kid, Jake. And he began to explain the, 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 the situation. He said, if the game's out of hand late in the fourth quarter, are you okay if I, I call timeout? And I want to bring Jake in. I want him to take a snap, and I'm just going to have him kneel down, just kneel down the ball, and it'll mean the world to Jake. He got into a game after all those practices and all those times standing on the sideline. I mean, it would, I know it'd be something he would never forget. The other coach was like, sure, I'd love that. And sure enough, Friday night came along. And sure enough, McDermott fell behind. And it got to be in the fourth quarter, and the game was out of reach. And the coach called timeout. They had practiced all week what Jake was supposed to do. Take the snap, take a step, and kneel down. And he sent him out there under center. And yet something happened that night with those high school kids. Jake took the snap and he went to kneel down, but one of the running backs wouldn't let him. And actually, they began to, began to tell Jake to start running. Amazingly, the other team, the defensive team, started doing the same thing. And actually, the line just parted and Jake had a clear path to the end zone. It took him 10 seconds to go 40 yards. Not very fast. But as he went those 40 yards, all 21 other players were encouraging him, cheering him on, helping him, directing him, making sure that he didn't kneel down and he didn't go the wrong direction until he crossed the goal line.
They say in McDermott, Ohio that night that when he crossed the goal line, you could hear the stands erupt for a long way. Both sides. They say in McDermott that night that grown men cried as they watched what happened as Jake Porter scored a touchdown. And the person who wrote about this story wrote this. They've played a lot of football in McDermott, Ohio over the years. There's been a lot of different scores and highlights and they are mostly forgotten. But you know what's not forgotten? The night Jake Porter scored a touchdown. Because for a moment in time, everybody in that place was on the same page, pulling the same direction. I believe that if you and I will be united together for the kingdom, we can see this community changed in a way that will never be forgotten. Father, it's so awkward and weird this first Sunday and it's just different, but it's significant, it matters and I feel different and I'm more reserved, but I want to communicate something so important. And that's that you have graciously brought all this together. You have been faithful to produce a effective, fruitful church in Lima. You have caused this place to affect the culture and you've changed people's lives through this church. And you want to continue to do that in great ways in this new chapter. And the thing that matters most and the thing that enables all the other things to come to pass is when we stay together. We become one. We stay one. We allow ourselves to always be united around the common purpose and the goal, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I believe what you want to do here is that. And so just as Jesus prayed and he pleaded and he, he, it was his last things before he headed to the cross. I pray that they may be one because if they'll be one, the world will believe and the world will know. I too today pray, keep us one. Help us to understand and grow in this oneness. Keep us together strong and united. And in that, the power of the Holy Spirit can be unleashed through us into this lost, dark struggling community. Make it so, I pray. I pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and all God's people said, amen. Have a great Sunday.
Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.